This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 50, Hypnosis on Television, with Mark Carlin. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Welcome back. It's Jason Lynette here and really excited to share this conversation with you here today. I've actually known Mark Carlin for several years now, originally becoming best friends on Facebook, as I'm sure many of you out there and I are already best friends on Facebook, to use the term properly. And uh, Mark and I first officially met in person, traveling up to, uh, I believe, Carol Deneker's office up in uh, the Long Island area for the virtual gastric band training. And Mark quickly became one of those people that I could tell just was seeing a lot of clients, getting a lot of great results, and just like this TV appearance, doing a lot of great work out there to spread the awareness about what hypnosis is, what it's about, and what's possible within it. Now, I'm going to put the actual clip that we're going to talk about here on the show notes over at worksmarthypnosis.com. Just head over there, and there'll be links to uh, Mark's website as well, which is hypnoticstate.com. So let's jump right in. This is Getting Hypnosis on Television with Mark Carlin, session number 50. Here we go. I was involved in a sport my whole life. Starting when I was 20 years old, I needed to find a way to go skiing. I loved skiing, and I needed to find a way to go skiing. I had just graduated from college. I had immediately lost two jobs, got fired from two jobs right out of college. <laughs> so I was unemployed and I didn't have a car. It was the first time I didn't have a car. I had a brand new car that at two years old, it got into an accident and it was totaled. So I was without a vehicle and I needed to go skiing. I knew I needed to go skiing because I craved skiing. Skiing was in my blood. And I looked through the newspapers and I saw an ad for uh, ski instructors. And so I found a, a way to be transported up to the ski areas in my area and be able to teach people to ski at the same time and have some fun. And that developed into a lifestyle, pretty much. I started doing that full-time and then uh, part-time. And I got older and older. And as I got older and older, I found someone that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And when we got married, this seemed to have been always something that I needed to do instead of skiing. So I kind of put skiing on the back burner for a few years. And when I got back into the sport again, I didn't have the same. Well, first of all, I, I wasn't in the same shape I was in because I had stopped skiing for a few years and my agility wasn't right. My strength wasn't there. My reaction time was different. So I spent a, a good year or two developing that to the point where I was prior to leaving the sport. And when I say leaving the sport, I didn't leave the sport totally. I mean, I, I used to ski somewhere between 50 to 100 days a year. And then I went, the, my cold turkey ended up being maybe 10 or 15 days a year, which was quite a big shock to my system, not getting that type of skiing in. So when I got back into skiing after spending a couple of years acclimating and getting my body physically capable and, and getting my agility back and all my sport responses back to where they should be, I still had this thing inside where I wasn't having fun on the most difficult terrain that I was most comfortable with prior to that. That was my fun. That was my playground on the double diamonds. And now it was fear taking over and I was becoming rigid and I wasn't able to really enjoy the skiing. 
So I started after spending all the time getting myself physically conditioned back in shape, I was going, it can't be physical anymore. It's got to be mental. So once I realized that, I went to the library because libraries were in back then. There was was no Google. So I started going to the library and I started pulling down all the books I could find on uh, sports psychology. And leafing through those books to find out what my problem was, I noticed that there was something very similar in all the books. They either had a chapter or a whole section on hypnosis, which was the first time I even thought of hypnosis as a way of helping me with this problem or any problem. Uh, Hypnosis usually comes to people's minds because it's not something that is in the commonplace uh, way of uh, solving problems in the U.S., for sure. So my mind started to just accept that, you know, maybe hypnosis would be a good tool to use. One day I was leafing through a free newspaper that they give out at the health food stores. And I had been reading this newspaper for years. I mean, I'd been going through it for years. It was always a source of more information on nutrition uh, that was outside the norm. And it had good information about other things. And going through it, I just happened to notice a full page ad for a hypnosis training. It was a hypnotist in my area that was teaching people how to be hypnotists. And he even mentioned in there that he was a sports hypnotist. So nice. Yeah, bingo. I'm going, wow, there's a connection. I'm going to go take this class. So I'm going to find out more about the class and take the class and see what it's all about. And if I like the guy, I'll even use him as to help me, you know, to get me back together again as a skier. And what I didn't know was that class that had been advertised as full page ad in this newspaper for years. And I never noticed it before. The first clue (laughs) that, you know, our minds play tricks on us and they do give us information that we want to know about. So that was something that was like an eye opener for me. After I took my training, I started to realize all these things that my mind was doing. I actually took the class. I called up the office and this guy had, he had a weekend class that he had given every other month. He would do an introductory class one month and the next month he would do an advanced class on hypnosis. And the the time that I called, he had just finished giving his introductory class. All he had was the next class up was going to be in a few weeks. It was his advanced class. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to wait two months or so to to see or a month and a half to take the class. And he goes, no, no, you can take the advanced class and then take the introductory class later. It won't make a difference. Well, it actually didn't make a difference in the grand scheme of things. But it did make a difference in my ability to use the information that he gave me in advance. But everything made sense when I did the beginning class second. Because after doing the advanced class, I was in awe of what I saw. But I was a little bit, you know, everything was a little bit out of sequence. But that's how I began. (laughs) began taking with with advanced class and then took the beginner class. And something really cool about his classes was that since he did have an established place, he had a, a place similar to you. He had a a classroom in his office that he could use. He gave that class every month in that sequence. But if you took the class once, you could take that class continuously every time he gave it. So I was, since I was skiing in the wintertime, I wasn't able to take his class in the winter. But off season, I took every class that I took, I took it repeatedly every chance I got. So it was really wonderful to be able to not only do that, but he also had practice sessions. I was able to practice inductions and go through techniques and continue to learn through this connection that I had with him. That was my introduction to hypnosis. Yeah. So then at what point did this officially become the main focus of what you do? 
when I took the class, I initially wanted to help myself, but at the time I was also looking to, to change and to get a profession that I could take with me or get a business that I could take with me out to the ski slopes and practice there. So I was actually looking into massage therapy as a way of transitioning from my other business into this. And I didn't really care for that too much because I had worked with my hands early on. I came from a um, craftsman mentality. My family had a woodworking shop and I wanted to get out of the hands-on element because I just felt that there's a limitation to our physicality. You can only take so much massage, do massage for so long and your your muscles kind of ache. And that didn't appeal to me. But sitting with someone and, and working with them, it seemed like a pretty easy gig. So then I started to think about this as a way that I could go out, move out west and ski full time and still be able to afford the housing around there if I offered services after work as a hypnotist. So I'm thinking along those lines, and I was thinking that this might be a a good thing to do in that way. But what I did was I started to offer my services out in different little segments of the population. So I I started to join different groups so that when they had uh, fundraisers, I would be able to offer hypnosis sessions as a fundraiser. So it would allow me to introduce what I do to a small group of like-minded people, as well as helping other people around there as well. So I started out doing it part-time. So, and I probably did it part-time for a good four or five years before I started to actually rent a space and dedicate it one day, again, part-time one day, but dedicating a time slot to uh, seeing clients. Before that, I purchased a recliner and stuck it in my living room and I would see clients in my living room, which wasn't the ideal situation. But, you know, we work with what we need to work with. And during that process, I not only took trainings from this original guy, but I started to realize that in order to be successful, you needed to find teachers that had lots of experience because whatever they were teaching you was going to be based on their experience. Now, the guy that I learned from initially was great. He had quite a bit of experience, but his model of doing this work was that he would see a client for an enormous and extravagant amount of money, which in those days, the average hypnotist was getting 50 to $75. He was getting 10 times that amount for one session, and he would only do one session with the person, but that one session would last an undetermined amount of time. So it could be three hours, it could be five hours. And that's the way he approached his model of business. So he would see maybe one or two clients a week at most. With that kind of a model, you're not going to get a lot of experience. You're just not going to see that many people. You can be successful. He was successful, but you're not going to get that much experience. And I just took that on and I started to look for trainers that uh, had lots of experience. So we started to go after people who were at the diplomat status where they would see over 10,000 clients already under their belt. So I I trained with hypnotists that saw 15,000 to 50,000 clients already. And taking that as their experience, I took their experience on as my experience. Well, it's where you'd find that often, you know, we can talk about the techniques, we can talk about the strategies, but It's very often these things that are just throwaways, the anecdotes, the stories of specific case studies, where that's where you really learn how to do this stuff. That's where you really learn how to interact with the client, how to put the process together. Very much so. Very much so. In fact, the initial training that I did didn't really have a good business model for me. I mean, because 
if you only could see one client, if you book two clients for the same day and you don't know when that one session is going to end, you don't know when the other session is going to start. So when do you bring the other client in? You know, and if you have somebody waiting two hours or three hours for you to finish up with a client, it's not really a good model. So not only was I learning techniques from other hypnotists, I was learning how to run a business as well, which to me, knowing now what I know, <laughs> that should have been the primary concern. When you, if you're first starting out in this business, you learn the basics, you learn the stuff you need to do in order to have positive results with your clients. Absolutely. You should learn the best you can from the best and, and learn as best you can how to do the techniques, how to hypnotize people, how to get results. But once you learn the basics of that, you should be focusing almost exclusively on marketing your business because that is the biggest hurdle that most hypnotists find. Most hypnotists come into this profession after being in a job. And being a hypnotist is not being in a job. Being a hypnotist is being an entrepreneur. You have to bring people in. And very often, a lot of people, they'll look at the amount of money. Let's say you're making $75. You're charging at the bottom rate $75 a session or $50 a session. To a lot of people, that's like, wow, $50 an hour. That's so much more than I'm making now. If, I, if they're doing $20, $25, $30 an hour, still $50 an hour is great. But a business is not $50 an hour because you're only going to get paid when you got someone sitting in the chair. Yeah, when there's actually someone there in front of you. So that's a, a flawed way of looking at it. And it, if you're thinking about doing $50 sessions, it's flawed right from the get-go. Even if you do get 20 session hours a week, you're going to wear yourself out and you're not going to be able to grow your business. And every business needs to have some growth level in there. And then when do you have time to train or when do you have time to even learn more? I mean, 20 client session hours, you have to have time to market your business. You have to have time to grow your own abilities. You have to have travel time so you can learn new things. I mean, it's all part of being in business is your education as well as you know paying your rent and paying for all the other things you need to in order to live and raise a family. Which is part of why I wanted to reach out to you to have you on here on this program is that one of the ways that I first came to know you was through some of the TV appearances that you've done, that you've done TV appearances by way of previously with the virtual gastric band, and then this appearance that happened, that was just a couple of weeks ago, right? Or even at this point, a couple of days ago, right? The last one I did was Good Day New York was a morning show, which was absolutely great. I mean, I loved it. It was, yeah. it was really a lot of fun. Uh, first time I was doing a live on TV in the studio type of thing, I was overjoyed. I don't know if you saw, if you saw, I just couldn't stop smiling the whole time. Yeah. I mean, the amount of time they gave you too to actually do a real demonstration on the air. The whole thing is hypnosis is a very, very attractive thing for media. It's a very, very attractive whole concept. It's really quite different. It's controversial. It has all the wonderful abilities that people who are in the media are looking for because it grabs people's attention. It's always very interesting. And they can spin it a lot of different ways. I've gotten some really positive feedback about that segment from people. And I've also gotten people who were very angry about how they treated me. And I didn't get that at all. I mean, I, I thought they treated me like a king. But they look at that TV segment, if they don't know, they think it's news. And the news people weren't giving me respect because they were joking about the clucking like a chicken or doing the chicken dance. And as a hypnotist, that's normal. 
Oh yeah, we're used yeah, to that. That's, that's that's every every day on the phone if yeah, you're returning calls. That, that's their biggest fear that they're going to come in here and we're going to make them cluck like a chicken. So, you know, you, you don't know how other people are going to respond or how they see things. But to me, that was you know golden. I I love that. I love being able to answer those questions, just set the record straight according to Mark, you know, according to me. Yeah, and you know, educate people on what hypnosis is and how wonderful is you know one of the things that uh, i didn't mention about that first class that i took that class made me really angry and i was so angry because i had gone through all these years of schooling and no one ever taught me how my mind works and what Hmm. i was seeing in that first class was exactly showing me how my mind works and teaching me how to use my mind correctly and i'm thinking to myself with all those years of schooling don't you think that someone should have woken up and taught me how to use my mind. Don't you think that would have been helpful when they were asking me to use my mind with all these specific things that I was supposed to get great scores on and do well in school? That was my response. I got really angry. So when we're able to let more people know about a technology that exists that can help them overcome hurdles, overcome obstacles, do better than they've done so far and learn even more quickly and have more success, yeah, everybody should know about this. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's a radio appearance I did a few years ago that before we went on the air, he just said something to me that was just so blunt to which he goes, two things. I have to always be on your side because that makes for a better interview. So you're going to do well today was what he just looked at me and said. And the second thing he said was, I've got to play the game of answering the questions that the people at home are going to be thinking that if I don't ask them, that they're going to think I left something out. Right. So it's where, and I forget where I learned this, of I brought at one point along a list of the most common questions that would often get asked in such an environment. And it was kind of fun, though, because, of course, they typically would respond, oh, yeah, we don't need that. And then he did the interview by reading down the entire list. (laughs) But it was great, though, because it was the control of the interview that I had good, rehearsed, short, brief, efficient answers Mm -hmm. to these questions. So, yeah, I mean, mean, we're going to put the clip uh, that we're actually referencing here in the show notes over at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. I'd love to ask you this, though, about just the simplicity of how did that actually come to happen? Navigate to make that happen yourself, that appearance? What happened was Olivia Munn announced to the world, she's getting all this publicity because she's going to be the star of the new, I think it's the X-Men movie. She announced in one of her interviews, I think it was on Good Housekeeping interview, I'm not sure. She announced that she had been hypnotized. And it ended up that she was working out six days a week and when she never really wanted to work out at all. And she made it seem like it was just a matter of fact. She saw a hypnotist and boom. Actually, she saw the hypnotist. She was seeing the hypnotist for some other issues. So she'd been seeing the hypnotist, I would assume, a number of times. It wasn't just one session. But during the time when the hypnotist was developing and creating this wonderful rapport with her and, and helping her to see things differently and do things differently... It was like kind of like a throwaway during that session that he gave her suggestions that she was going to be more comfortable with exercising more. And that's what happened. So when she revealed that, Good Morning America came on the air with an interview with a friend of mine here in New York. And later that same day when that interview aired, Good Day New York 
wanted to do this kind of the same thing with me. They wanted to redo it. I guess, you know, everybody's looking to see what everyone else is doing and they're just looking to hop on the, the current bandwagon. But the week before the Good Day New York happened, Olivia Munn came out with this article and the news, Fox News picked up on it. And I had been on Fox News before, I guess, and that's how the producer contacted me. But they got in touch with me and asked me if I would do a, uh, an interview with them. Uh, they'd come to my office. And they, what they did, they spend about an hour, two hours with you, and they take a, like a three-second soundbite, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they put you in there. So I had two little soundbites in this news article about Olivia Munn getting hypnotized for exercise and having great success with it. And so as a result of that little segment, I think that that's how the producer for The Good Day New York got in touch with me. And then they wanted to recreate probably the Good Morning America show on their show. Nice. So it was an opportunity of, because an existing relationship was there, and I'd imagine too, the fact that you've got a website where people can go on there and they can meet you. There's videos, there's evidence of you on other TV appearances too. And they can see that you know how to talk about what you do, you know how to communicate it, and just positions ourselves in a much better position to actually get that attention as well. Very important. By the way, just to highlight to everyone how controversial, how desirable, how important being a hypnotist is, how attractive it is to the media. Every time I've had a news little clip on the show, they usually air it in the early afternoon, the late afternoon, the early evening, there's a a six o'clock or a five o'clock news segment. They usually start off with that. And then they always rerun it again in the evening. Yeah. Because it's such a great draw. And it's proven because they see what the numbers are. And whatever did well in the six o'clock hour or the five o'clock hour, they rerun it in the evening. And without fail, they always run my piece twice because it is a very interesting topic. And we as hypnotists don't use that to our full advantage. You know, we should really be taking advantage of that by sending out news releases, by contacting our local media on a regular basis, letting them know what you're doing so that they have your name, email, your phone number in their Rolodex. But getting back to that news clip that they read at five o'clock, they took a video that I did working with a client off of my website and they ran it on the news. I was kind of a little shocked because it's not even good quality. It was such an old video that I did. It was a DB tape, you know, one of those little mini DBs. Yeah, yeah. It was a DB tape. So the quality was horrible. And here here it is on broadcast TV, this horrible quality clip of watching me hypnotize somebody by having my finger go up and down in front of her eyes so I could get her to stop moving her eyes. (laughs) It was really funny. Yeah, yeah. So let's kind of rewind slightly, though. I just love to ask this question. Client comes into your office. And yes, we're all client centered. Yes, we all tend to have you know our own flexible style in terms of how we actually interact with that client. But I'm curious if there's like some sort of overriding goal that just kind of defines the process the way that you do it. First of all, when I talk to them on the phone before they even come in, because I do that religiously, I, I really find it's very important in most cases, to speak to the person before they come in, I'm looking for their desires and what they want to work on. So I kind of have an idea when they walk in, what they're going to work on. And when they sit in my chair, I start to build rapport. And while I'm doing that, what I'm doing is finding also what their problems are, what their motivations are. And and my mind is going how I can change or reframe those things to help them. And I, I start asking them questions. Things start popping into my mind about how to approach this. And I ask them I kind of get their permission because I want to know how they respond. Does this sound good? Can you see this this way? 
you know, like somebody comes in and says, I can't turn off the day. I can't turn off what's going on during my day. And when I get home, I'm so stressed out. I'm relying on drugs. I'm relying on pills. I'm relying on alcohol. I'm relying on food. Whatever they're doing, you know, they're doing something to turn off the day, to rely upon some way of relaxing. So I kind of question them. Well, what if you were to pretend that, you know, all the stress from the day is over once you leave the office? Can you do that? And sometimes I'll go, you know, I can pretend, but then it's not real. Or, Or they'll say, I can't pretend that that's silly because it's not the stress isn't over. It's still with me. So I I know that that's not going to be a good approach. So I'll kind of throw out some ideas to them and see what they're attracted to, because it's always better to work with something that they can accept even before they're in trance. If it's like within their capabilities, it's within their context. The same thing a, a stage hypnotist does. The stage hypnotist is throwing out things and creating context that's acceptable for the person on stage, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, for the process, I mean, it's, in my opinion, shameful, the number of schools of thought that would talk about the intake interview time of the session as being the time in which you're, quote, just learning about the problem. And what you described is very similar to what I do, too, of we're in many ways fishing to see what's going to be the right style of work, what's going to be the right response. And sometimes as simple as what you've described, just asking, well, if you could do this, would that be a beneficial for you? If you could do that, how would that be different? Yeah. And I'm also looking to see what the result is. I mean, I know if somebody's coming in here, they lose weight. They want to lose weight. In fact, they don't want to lose weight. They want to have already lost the weight. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But what I'm asking them is, what is the result that they want today? What would they like to see have happened to them when they leave here? You know, I, I want to know what that is in their mind, how they think this is going to work. So I get an idea of how to approach it as well. I think that's one of those things that, again, is often overlooked that especially, I mean, weight loss and more especially too, the client quitting smoking, that concept of getting the appropriate instant gratification, that changes in motion, that something is actually happening, that we could play this game of be there, it's five years from now, be there 10 years from now, but to fold into the process in addition to that, how they're going to feel today, what's going to happen when they leave that appointment that that's really how you build those blocks towards that, then that place five years, 10 years out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that you've got some interesting thoughts on helping clients quit smoking too, right? Oh, yeah. Smoking, you know, to help somebody quit smoking, as a hypnotist, I became more successful at helping people quit smoking once I believed I could be successful at helping them quit smoking. <laughs> <laughs> that might apply to everything. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it applied more to, to stopping smoking. And, and I really wanted, when I first started to get into hypnosis, the initial thrust of it was I wanted to help people with their sport. I wanted to help skiers. I wanted to help golfers. I wanted to help people with their sports because that's where I came into this from. At the time, I wasn't able to target that market very efficiently because there was no internet. There was no way to do that. And I was a ski instructor. I was up at the ski area and, you know, it was like pulling teeth. I I thought it would be easy to get people to uh, certainly skiers, you know, how crazy are skiers, you know, the sliding down a mountain on sticks, you know, out of control most of the time. How crazy are they? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought it would be easy to get people to agree to sit in my chair and be hypnotized. But no, they're just like everybody else. You know, They they don't want to be hypnotized. They don't want someone to control them. So knowing that it was going to be difficult anyway, I wanted the easiest way to target the market was to go after either smoking or weight loss or both because those were already accepted 
for hypnosis modalities. So I wanted to get really good at stopping smoking because that was a verifiable change. You can say all you want about helping people to relax and getting them into a better frame of mind, but that's so very subjective. When you work with someone who's coming in to stop smoking and they stop smoking, that's objective. That's verifiable. This is change. When you get good at that, you know you can get good at anything. You can know you can do anything as far as hypnosis goes when you get good at verifiable change. So that was really important to me right from the start. And I worked at it. I mean, it didn't come easy. <laughs> it just didn't come easy because basically I'm a, a really a very ethical, honest person. So for me to say to somebody, that I can help you to stop smoking. If I never helped anybody stop smoking before, that was something that didn't sit right with me. And it was difficult for me to do. So to get someone to stop smoking, I had to work at it quite a, a while to figure out how to do it. I'm glad I did because it helped me create successes in other areas of my life. In fact, that's what helped me even get introduced to the virtual gastric band and, and use that because I was looking to get great success like I was able to get with smoking. Smoking became something that, you know, somebody wanted to stop smoking. All they needed to do was come into the office and follow my instructions and boom, they were leaving the office being a non-smoker. It was really extremely simple, easy. I had a great program in place and I wanted to get the same success I was getting with smoking that I, I wanted to get the same type of success with weight loss. And I was struggling with weight loss too. Because weight loss was different than smoking. Smoking is something we as humans, we're not programmed to smoke, but we are programmed to eat and we need to eat. We need to manage food and we can't quit it totally like you can with smoking cigarettes. So it was a different approach. Different things had to come into play. And if it wasn't for how successful I'd been with smoking, I, I really wouldn't care about the weight loss because I was probably going get, to be getting the same type of success with weight loss. What would you say is perhaps missing from most hypnotist strategies in terms of helping a client quit smoking? It's a good question. As I said, you know, it has to come from within. You have to be yeah. sure that you can help them stop smoking. Once you're sure that you can help them stop smoking, then you can begin to bring them into your world and make them sure that you can help them stop smoking. Once you get that rapport going and once you show them how you can and prove to them certain things about their behaviors that are different than what they thought they were, their beliefs about their behaviors are quite different than they thought they were. Once you start to show them, point out to them where they're wrong or how they really are working, then they start to accept that you're capable. You know more than they are, than they do about the problem. Then they kind of accept that you can help them. So it all kind of goes back to the anger of your first hypnosis class of learning how the brain actually works. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See how we bring it all full circle. And I know we wanted to mention this, and I asked you to do this. You've got actually, it's a two DVD set that you've put out just on your stop smoking process, right? Yeah. It's kind of like a look over my shoulder as I work with a couple of people that come in to see me to stop smoking. One of them was actually... Um, I had been called upon to help one of the uh, reporters from CNN do a piece on stopping smoking. The president had just gotten into office. Obama had just gotten into office. It was before his inauguration. And they had called upon me to help them You know, do, I guess, some sound bites. And they also wanted to have pictures of me and videos of me working with the client to help them to stop smoking. 
So I arranged to have this person come in to be a part of this and ended up CNN didn't really need it. But I had taped it anyway, because, you know, this woman had agreed to come in. She needed to stop smoking. I said, well, she did her job. So I'm going to give her the uh, free session, which, by the way, a lot of hypnotists will not do free smoking sessions because they don't think it'll work. (laughs) So she came in and she had a lot of, well, what you really need is, I mean, money is a motivator, but it's not that great of a motivator. It's not really that big of a motivator. Emotions are the big motivator. So if you can tap into their emotional reasons for stopping, then you'll have a successful stop smoking session. So one of the videos is me working with this woman who had uh, agreed to work with me for CNN. And another one was just um, another woman at, at work that agreed to work with me and have it on video just so that I could use it as a, as a training vehicle. And they both were very successful. So it's more like, look over my shoulder. This is what I'm going to do. It also has some intake forms, a little bit of pre-session cognitive awareness instructions on what I want my clients to do before they come in in preparation. And it has some other little pieces of the puzzle to help you to put together your own stop smoking program and starting off with something that you know is successful. Uh, To me, that was a wake-up call with the virtual gastric band. When you know that something is successful for someone else and you start to use that, you're coming from a place where, hey, you know what, this works. So it's going to work for me. And that's key as we're talking about. You want to come from a place where you know that what you're doing is right and what you know what you're doing is successful. And it's a great program too. I've seen it. And as a side note, the thing I think we need more of in hypnosis training are products such as this that have the actual demonstration there. You know, very often we end up with a lot of lecture. We end up with a lot of in-class demonstrations. But here you are with actual sessions, real sessions that people can actually watch and interact with and see it actually in motion. Yeah. And I I did take one of those videos and did a a voiceover, like one of those Hollywood DVD voiceovers. Oh, nice. (laughs) The behind the scenes commentary. Yeah, behind the scenes. And I'm I'm discussing what I'm doing and I'm explaining to people, the the people who watch it, exactly why I'm doing it and what I'm doing. And, And so if they don't notice it on their own, they're alerted to it. Beautiful. And you can check that out. We're going to put that in the show notes. I'll give you an easy to remember uh, website address to check that out. WorkSmartHypnosis.com. And we'll do that as uh, forward slash stop smoking DVD. That'll take you over to Mark's site to check that out. Mark, awesome having you on here. I'm going to do something a little better because I'm going to I'm going to be offering it to your listeners. I'm going to take $100 off of the price on, uh, on that website. So just for your listeners. Because money sometimes is a motivator. Yes. <laughs> sometimes lack of money. There you go. Could be a limitation. And it's a phenomenal set. I've watched it and I've used a lot of the strategies from it as well. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. Hey, it's Jason Lynette here with one last quick thought. We spent some time in this conversation you've just listened to talking about marketing, talking about business and specifically talking about websites. And it turns out many of us have websites for a funny reason. It's because we think we're supposed to. And indeed, I would actually tell you, you should. It's 2015 at the time of this recording, and it's your ultimate business card. Admittedly, I only ever hand out business cards at like training events and conventions these days. I most often will instead point people back to my website, So I'd ask you the question, is your website truly working for you? 
And for exactly that reason, I've put together a short five-part mini-class uh, with a bit of an interesting title to it, Turn Your Hypnosis Website into a Money-Printing Machine. It's a five-video series where you're going to see me talk through strategies, which you can fold in right away to improve your website. And what's really cool about this is we're going to spend some time actually going through several hypnotist websites and reviewing their content, reviewing their formatting and their design, and giving actionable strategies to improve those sites. To learn this and much more to get your business out there, to get your phone ringing and helping clients as well, check this out. Go over to worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash print, P-R-I-N-T. That'll redirect you over to the page and give you access to that five video mini class. Turn your hypnosis website into a money printing machine available at worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash print, P-R-I-N-T. I'll see you there.